Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Season 3 of the Mikvah.org podcast is focused on a halacha review. This series was recorded as part of the Winter 5782 Zoom online review. Enjoy today's recording and be a part of our global initiative to have 1,200 women review mikvah.org forward slash 120. Hi, everybody, and welcome to week five of our six-part online Zoom review. Welcome back. Today we will be talking about preparing and immersion, what we call in uh, halachic terms, chafifa and tefila, with Mrs. Mushki Kalarski, certified Kala teacher in Kern Heights. I'd like to let you all know that the first four parts of this review are online at mikvah.org forward slash media, if you wanted to catch up on any part of the review. And as well, I'd like to let you remind you all to please go to mikvah.org forward slash 120 to sign the pawn if you have not yet done so and join the initiative of having 1200 women review by Yeraf Nisan, the Rebbe's birthday. So without any further ado, Mushki Kutlarski, thanks for being here today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Um, so, first of all, I um, sorry. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me on, um, and it's my privilege to give this class for all these lovely women who have joined. Um, and it's such a schus to be able to share this. The mitzvah tars hamishbacha is an incredibly profound and powerful mitzvah that we get to do. We get to go from being in a state of tuma. Nida, Tumas Nida, to a state of Tahara, and Khafifa and Tfila are the last two stages of this. And by the time we finish the class tonight, we will be in a stage of Tahara, which is really incredible to go through the mikvah, the transformative process of now becoming Tahara. So what we're learning today is called Khafifa and Tfila. So first, we're going to define those terms. What does chafifa mean? What does tevila mean? So chafifa means to prepare ourselves for immersion. We do this by cleaning our body and inspecting it to make sure that there are no chatzitzas on us. What are chatzitzas? Chatzitzas are anything that can be intervening between our body and water, the water of the mikvah. After we do this chafifa process, we can then tevil in the mikvah, which is called tevila. So <coughs> when we tevil in the mikvah, when we immerse, we then get to make a bracha, the bracha al hatvila, and we become tahar after we immerse properly in the mikvah after doing our chafifa process, which follows what you've already learned previously, the shivanikim, um, the hapsiktara and the shivanikim. So there's uh, process that we go through to get to this point, and the chafifa and tefila is our, our last stop. So when do we do chafifa? 
I just want to start off by saying that everything I'm saying tonight, my notes have been reviewed by Rabbi Chaiken of Mikvah.org. My personal endorsing rub is Rabbi Schmerling. Um, I'll be teaching based off their guidance. If something I say seems off to you, seems unfamiliar from what you previously learned or what you've been guided by your rub, please, please double check. First of all, it's possible that I misspeak. Um, or there's a misunderstanding, especially when we're you know, listening online and maybe we don't hear every single word. So please get that clarified if it seems like something is unclear or different than what you learned. And if you don't want to clarify it with me, then definitely speak to your Rav before changing anything. If something is a significant difference and seems like, oh, I've always been doing it a certain way, but I heard in the class before um, jumping off the deep end and doing something completely different, definitely check with your Rav. Um, based on what you were learning, make sure that you're doing it the correct way. I'm here to refresh your memory and remind you of things, but if something seems new or off or different, then definitely double check about that, okay? So when do we do Hafifa? So Hafifa is uh, supposed to be done immediately before we title on the mikvah. So we title on the mikvah after Tzesachachavim, after the completion of our Shivanikim. After seven days, we tie on the mikvah. So before that, immediately before that, is when we have the opportunity to do chafifa, to clean our body, to prepare our body. So what do we do? Um, the ideal time to prepare is to start during the daytime, to start before shkia, and to finish close to the time when we're going to table to finish after Tesekechavim. So this time period is considered the most ideal for tefillah. As Rabbi Chaikin said, this is lechatchila. This is what we're supposed to do, to prepare at this time. However, what happens in Bidiyavid? What happens if that time is not going to work out? There are other possibilities it is okay to either do all the preparations after nightfall or to do all the preparations during the day. If a woman is preparing completely at night, then the halacha is that her preparations have to take a minimum of an hour. The reason for this is so, um, one second, sorry. The re Everyone see me okay? I wanna make sure that I'm seen. Okay, yeah, I'm good. The reason for this is because if we're preparing at night, it's already zman tefillah. It's already late at night. We could be tired, or even if it's not late, like in the wintertime, it's not necessarily late, but it's already time to tevil. So we might feel um, a little bit of urgency and maybe rush through and not take the meticulous amount of time. Also, in the times when they didn't have the kind of lighting that we have now, the light was you know, more of a factor. So to do it at night is a more meticulous process. And therefore, the Chachamim instituted that if you're doing it completely at night, it should take a minimum of an hour. It should not be rushed. Now, what happens if a woman can't do it at night for whatever reason? She has to do it during the day, which is allowed as well. She can do it during the day. If that's the case, if a woman's doing it during the day, the minimum time required for the entire Hafifa process, bath and everything, the minimum amount of time is a half hour. That's to do her whole Hafifa. All her preparations should take a minimum of a half hour. It's okay if it takes more. A lot of people practically take more time, and that's okay, as long as it's not you know, an excessive amount of time that's causing other issues. But the minimum is a half hour. Now, this is, as Rabbi Chaikin wanted me to stress, this is not the ideal. We should not be preparing 
earlier than we're going to be tithling in the mikvah. We ideally want to be as close as possible. However, sometimes practically that's what we have to do. An example would be Friday night. Friday night, we can't prepare between from before Shkia until after Tesekechavim, that's Shabbos. We can't prepare during that time. So we have to do it earlier in the day. Or as something we've been experiencing or have experienced during um, COVID, a lot of mikvahs weren't or still aren't allowing preparations in the mikvah. So then a woman would have to prepare at home before going. Or sometimes people have other reasons why preparing in the mikvah is impossible for them. And therefore they need to prepare earlier in that case, when a woman is preparing earlier, she should still do a minimal preparation right before mikvah. So generally on a weekday, what that would mean is taking a shower, combing her hair, and then inspecting the entire body, as we'll discuss both visually and manually with your hands, inspecting the entire body to make sure that there's no chatzitas before tefillah. There's ever a space of time between our chafifa and the tefillah, because it's supposed to be really connected. So if mikvah is Friday night or yantif, we're not going to be showering again before we tithal. We will take care of that earlier in the day. So what we have to do is we have to be really careful to avoid chatzitzas. For example, if you brushed your teeth at two in the afternoon and you're going to the mikvah at 5.30, you can't eat in between. Um, if you're going to eat in between, you have to clean your teeth again. So for Shabbos, um, if you're going to be preparing Friday afternoon and then you're eating and then come Shabbos and you can't brush your teeth, it's important to be mindful of that. We have to avoid our chatzitas because we're not going to be able to brush our teeth later or comb our hair later or shower again. So from when we're done our preparations on Erev Shabbos or Erev Yantif to be very mindful of avoiding chatzitas. So when we come to the mikvah, we can inspect ourselves and be ready to tifle. Okay, on Shabbos and Yentif, we're very careful not to um, do any malachas, such as um, squeezing hair, squeezing towels, because it is Shabbos. So even though we're tivling, um, we're not um, acting as if it's a regular day. We don't comb our hair, we don't squeeze out our hair, we don't squeeze out towels. What happens if mikvah is Matzah Shabbos? So what we do is we prepare on Friday, we do a full chafifa on Friday. Then after Shabbos, we're going to remove the chatzitzas that might have come on Shabbos, such as brushing our teeth, taking a shower, combing our hair, and inspecting for chatzitzas. The same thing is for Tisha B'Av or Yom Kippur. Um, if we, if mikvah night is either Matzah Tisha B'Av or if it was Tisha B'Av and therefore got delayed to Tisha B'Av, and the same with Yom Kippur, we don't go to the mikvah on Tisha B'Av or Yom Kippur, it's delayed till the evening but we can't prepare on that day. So we prepare Erev Tisha B'Av or Erev Yom Kippur. We do a full preparation. And then when we come to the mikvah, we will brush our teeth because we ate after the fast, right? We'll brush our teeth, shower again, comb our hair and inspect our body for chatzitzas. If it's a two day, and especially if it's a three day yantif, we are supposed to redo our entire chafifa process because of the passage of time. We don't rely on any of the preparations that we did two or three days ago to say that we are still free of chatzitza. We redo everything. The only thing that we don't have to redo is cutting our nails. If we cut our nails on 
Erev Yantif, and then we're going to the mikvah two days or three days later, we don't have to recut our nails. We're going to take another bath. We're going to comb out our hair. We're going to do all the steps that we're going to go through soon, but we don't have to recut our nails after Yantif if we did it on Erev Yantif. So on the day of tefillah, we avoid things that have chatzitzas because we don't want to be creating problems that we're going to have to deal with very shortly. So because of this, the minog is that we don't eat meat on the day of tefillah and we don't need dough. Um, there are some exceptions to this, like if it's Shabbos or Yantif, you are allowed to eat meat, even if you're going to be tithling that day. Um, but you have to be careful to clean your teeth either immediately afterwards or right after Shabbos using toothpicks, dental floss, we'll discuss it. But to make sure, be extra careful that meat doesn't get stuck between our teeth. And also with kneading dough, if it's Erev Shabbos and you always make challah on Erev Shabbos, you can still do the mitzvah of making challah and knead the dough. But you would be careful to clean very thoroughly afterwards, make sure there's no dough stuck around our nails, under our nails, etc. But if it's a regular day and you just want to need dough, you want to make bread or make challah, you know, on a Thursday or a Wednesday or any other day, we don't do that. It's only an exception for Arab Shabbos. Um, another halacha is that we don't cut our hair within three days of tefillah. This is the hair of our head. We don't cut our hair within three days of tefillah because hair splinters have a tendency to hang around and get all around. And even if we're going to shower, you can still find little bits of hair. So for three days before tefillah, we don't cut our hair. We also don't get a wax, wax hair removal within um, one or two days, depends on the rub. Rabbi Chaikin says two days, some rabbanim just say the day of mikvah. We don't get a wax because wax leaves a residue on the skin that you will then have to remove. So we're not going to put something on that is then going to create an issue for us that we're going to have to remove. Other practical tips, this is not written in halacha, are to avoid things that stain, um, like using dyes if you're you know, tie-dyeing with your kids or using food coloring or peeling and handling certain vegetables if you're going to be peeling beets or carrots and it gets all over you and then you have to start being concerned with removing it, better to avoid those things before going to mikvah or things that are hard to remove. Um, like glitter, we all know glitter gets everywhere and is such a pain, glitters all the time. So if you have your preschool teacher or even you, know, you just have glitter in your house for whatever reason or project, whatever you're working on, probably not the best idea to use glitter the day of mikvah just because it's, uh, it's just another hassle that you'll have to deal with unnecessarily or long lasting makeup. Some people actually don't put on makeup at all the day of mikvah because they don't have to worry about taking it off. But even if you are putting on makeup, long lasting makeup, um, you don't want to be worrying about it when you're in the mikvah that you have the wrong kind of remover and you can't get your mascara off or your lipstick is like this magical 48 hour lipstick that's just not coming off. So that's like a practical tip. Like if you know you have mikvah, then let's do some things to make the process a little bit easier. Okay, so how do we do our chafifa? We wash our entire body. Now, halacha says to pay special attention to folds and hidden areas. So what does this mean? How do we do it? I'm just gonna give it over in the practical order 
that seems um, that seems logical to me. This is not necessarily a halachic order. People like to do things in another order. They're welcome to do that. Like I recommend removing um, contact lenses as the first step. So you know it's out and you don't have to think about it later. Some people like to do it as their last step because they like to see the whole time. So this is not a halacha. First, you have to remove your contact or after you have to remove your contact as long as they're removed at some point. Okay. So I'm going to go over the hafifa in a, in an order that seems practical to me, but please, uh, this is my disclaimer, please don't take it as like, oh, she said, first cut your nails, then take a bath. Uh, it's not It's not about that. This is just um, going through that checklist in a way that I think is practical. Every woman um, can do it in her own system that makes sense to her. Okay, so what do we have to, what do we have to do? I recommend removing external things first like your jewelry, if you have a retainer, if you're wearing anything on you, you have a watch, take the watch off before, before you even start it. So it's not something you have to worry about it. Then things like makeup or nail polish, which are, which are also external. They're not on you, but they're attached to you. Take the time to take off your nail polish. This is something you can even do earlier in the day if you have nail polish on or even the day before. If it's gonna help you with your process, not everything has to be safe to do immediately before mikvah. Like I said, some people don't even wear makeup the day of mikvah because they don't want to deal with taking it off. So yeah, you can take off your makeup even at home before you go to the mikvah or your nail polish. First things uh, I think practically to do so you don't have to deal with it afterwards. Then we have to cut or file all our nails on our both our fingers, fingernails and our toenails. This is a critical step in the hafifa process. We have to cut our nails the day of mikvah. Even says if one nail is uncut, a woman would have to title again if she realized after she came out of the mikvah that she forgot to. And it talks about if it's Shabbos and Yantif and you didn't cut a nail, what do we do? Do we get a non-Jewish person? There's like a whole bunch of like, what do we do if? So cutting our nails or filing them is a critical step in the Khafifa, in the khafifa process. The goal is to have freshly cut, short, smooth, clean nails. How short? They do not have to be cut all the way down to where the nail joins with the skin. They have to be short. You can still see like a little bit white above. We're not looking to make you bleed or uncomfortable. It should be short. What it says is that you shouldn't see the nails from the other side. So if I hold up my hands like this, you don't see the nails. It should be short. Even if you already have short nails, you should still cut them a little bit or file them a little bit the day of mikvah. So sometimes this is a process people have in mind from before. They're not going to get a manicure a couple of days before mikvah or cut their nails a few days before, and then there's nothing to cut the day of mikvah, and they're like filing all the way down. So if you know you're going to have to cut your nails and you generally have short nails, think about that before so you'll have something to cut and smooth out the day of mikvah. So then the nails should be smooth like for people who bite their nails or peel at their nails. To smooth it out, there should be a nice smooth edge, and the nails should be clean. Um, cleaning nails uh, usually is not such a complex process. Usually by the time you're finished your bath, your nails are usually clean. You'll just look over it. For some people that maybe work with more dirty things, um, it could be a more involved process. Um, nowadays we have disposable gloves, which are awesome. They're wonderful, you know, for the day of mikvah, day before mikvah, if you're going to be painting or, you know, doing some pottery activity or any kind of thing that could get dirt under your nails, Wear your gloves, your nails stay nice and clean, and you don't have to um, be overly concerned with it. 
So after we cut our nails, again, both our fingernails and our toenails, because it's so important, all of the um, hanhagas to do with cutting nails don't apply. Like you can cut them all in order like this. You don't have to do it the skipping way if that would cause you to forget a nail. Um, we can cut our fingernails and toenails on the same day. Some people don't do it the same day, but for mikvah, we're allowed to. We're allowed to cut them on Thursday. We're allowed to cut them at night. Any of the rules about nail cutting don't apply because cutting our nails for mikvah supersedes that, okay? So moving on from nails, again, this is something that sometimes people prefer to do earlier in the day, or um, let's say if they're gonna be preparing at night, they're gonna be in the mikvah at night preparing, they'll start with their nails during the day to save themselves a job. So it shouldn't be the whole hafifah in one bulk process, but cutting the nails, I recommend doing it first. Again, you don't wanna do it first. You like to cut your nail at the dafka after you take a bath. That's totally your prerogative. I, I just practically think it's recommended to do it earlier. So, so far we took off our clothing, external things like our jewelry, our contacts, we removed our, our, our makeup, our nail polish, we can do our nails and then brush and floss our teeth. So the idea is when we're in the mikvah, water is theoretically supposed to reach, be able to reach every part of our body, including the orifices, the openings of our body. So even your mouth should be clean. It doesn't mean you have to keep your mouth open under the in the mikvah water. The water doesn't have to actually enter your mouth, but it should be clean. So how do we do this? We brush our teeth and we floss in between the teeth to make sure that nothing is stuck. If flossing poses an issue for you, which some people do due to various dental things, um, some people prefer to use toothpicks, some people use a water flosser, find a way that you're able to clean between your teeth and in the hard to reach areas so your mouth is clean. Um, this doesn't, I know Khafifa is like a very long broken down process and it might seem intense. It's not necessarily intense. Um, brushing and flossing our teeth is hopefully something that we do on a daily basis that we're used to doing. It really shouldn't be that big of a deal. Two minute process, brush, floss, rinse out with mouth wash to get rid of the last bits and our mouth is clean. The same with cutting our nails. Doesn't necessarily have to be very involved. It can be taking a file, going to each nail, making sure it's smooth and done. Um, Khafifa seems like very complicated, but if you think about it, let's go back to a, a period in time when people didn't have the standards of hygiene that we have today. Um, so imagine like a boy in overnight camp after two weeks of not really cleaning their body and running around in the sweat, you'll see they'll have like dirt on their neck, behind their ears and in their elbows, there's stuff to clean, right? There's this crustiness to clean. Um, Baruch Hashem, nowadays, most of us don't have to be concerned about that. But all of these body parts and areas are enumerated in the Hafifa process because they all have to be cleaned. Now, most of us, just by taking a shower, cleaned it. There's nothing inside our elbows. There's nothing on our neck because we're clean in general. So it seems like a long enumerated process, but it's really not much above our regular hygiene that we do, we're just doing it all at once. Removing our makeup and nail polish, cutting our nails, brushing our teeth, taking a shower. We're doing everything that we do in our regular hygiene. We're doing it all at the same time. So it's a process and it does take some time. Okay. So after we're done with our teeth, I recommend washing the face before you can take a shower. You wash your face. If there's any makeup left to remove or any kind of dirt, 
wash your face. We pay attention to all the openings, the orifices of our body. Our eyes, we make sure they're clean. In general, we don't want to have any crusty bodily fluid. So if there's any crusting around the eyes, remove that. Same with the nose and the ears. We don't have to dig inside orifices. We just have to go as far as the pinky finger could go. So there's no, you don't have, you can use a Q-tip, not your pinky, but you don't have to like dig all the way and reach hard to reach places. As long as it's, you know, the regular amount that your pinky finger go, that's as much as we're cleaning. So cleaning in the folds of your ears, behind your ears. If you have pierced ears, you take your earrings out and you clean the earring hole. You take an earring, put in some alcohol, clean out the hole. Um, we make sure that our face is clean. Um, once this is done, I would think that it's a good opportunity to go to the bath. You prepare the bath. You prepare that you'll have your a towel outside the bath and you'll have slippers. A lot of guys have the, um, the little disposable slippers. So you take the package, put the slippers near the bath. So when you come out, you will step straight into the slippers and not onto the floor and then have to wash your feet again. Okay, so when we're in the bath, there is no minimum amount of time that we have to be in the bath. No um, half hour or whatever. There's no minimum amount of time. How long do we have to be in the bath for? We have to be um, in the water for as long as it takes for our body to become soft and clean. So we're cleaning our body, we have soap and water, we clean our body, and we should go through methodically and make sure our body is clean. Um, if we have any kind of scabs on our body or other kind of chatzitzas that need to come off with some softening, the bath process helps do that. It will soften our skin to help make things easier to remove. We don't have to remove our actual skin. Our skin is a part of us. We're not peeling off our skin because I see a little flaky piece and we start, you know, it says in halacha, we don't start things that have no end. If there's not going to be an end to it, we don't start just peeling off our skin, digging in acne scars and in, you know, just regular um, different skin imperfections or we have a little bit of dry skin on our feet. We don't remove what's actually our skin. We exfoliate what comes off, what soaks and will be easily removed without bleeding, without hurting, without, without starting something that has no end. I think um, by the time you reach a certain age, you know your body enough to know what would be starting something that has no end, okay? So we're in the bath. So if you have, let's say, a dried scab that's been just sitting on the surface of your skin for a while, or a healed wound that just has the scab sitting there. If you sit in the bath for a while, the scab will lift off and come right off. You won't have to dig, you won't cause yourself bleeding or anything like that. Um, dried bodily fluids are considered a chatzitsa. So dried sweat, dried blood, um, breast milk if a woman is nursing. Dried bodily fluids are chatzitsa. If it's wet and free flowing, it's not a chatzitsa. So if you have a crusty wound, with some pus on it or something like that, that has to be washed off. But if you have something that's a little bit still oozing, like a little bit of blood or something like that, we don't have to be concerned with that as long as there's no dried crusting going on, okay? Um, so while we're in the bath, we're soaking our body, we're making sure we're clean. Um, this is a very nice time to do a little bit of mental chafifa, 
do a little bit focus on what your preparations are, that you're going through a Tara process, that you're preparing to enter a state of Tara in your whole body, limb by limb. And you could think about it, that you washed your eyes, that your eyes should only see beautiful and holy things in your marriage, your nose, that there should be a good smell in your home. There should be you know, a good avir, a nice environment, your ears. You should only hear good things about your spouse and about your shalom bias in general. And as we go through our body, it's, it's a nice time to think about what we're doing. And it's not just cutting our nails, but we think about our hands and doing actions, uh, positive actions for our marriage acts of service, say, or when we clean our mouth, that our mouth is saying positive words, doing positive things. It's just a nice way to think about and internalize what we're doing, as opposed to looking at it as just a bunch of stuff that have to be done, but to actually um, take the time to slow down a little bit, to internalize what's going on, to feel connected with a Tara process and not just doing a bunch of things. Okay, so while we're in the bath, and we're soaking, it's a nice time to think about all of that. You know, again, there's no minimum amount of time. You don't have to be there until your fingers prune up or for a half hour. There is no minimum. It's until you're clean and until any chatzitzas are removed. Okay, so as it says in halacha, we pay attention to folds and hidden areas. What are folds and hidden areas? For example, between our toes, between our fingers, behind our ears, in the creases of our knees and our elbows, under our breasts, in our genital areas, or any other folds that you might have. Some people have folds in the back of their neck or wherever someone might have folds in their body, we go through it and clean, okay? We make sure that everything is clean. We don't have to rub ourselves raw or do anything complicated. We make sure that our body is clean. <laughs> While we're doing our hafifa process, we do not use soaps or shampoos that leave a residue, like a shampoo that has a conditioning agent or that leaves extra shine. It's just leaving something on your hair. And the idea is that we're trying to remove things um, or soaps that have moisturizer or fragrances. We avoid those kind of soaps. If, um, let's say for certain people, in order to comb out their hair properly, they need to use a shampoo that has a little bit of conditioning agent or something like that then they'd be really careful to rinse it very well afterwards. And I would even say sometimes go as far as to use another shampoo afterwards, a pure basic shampoo to strip off anything that would be left. Okay, so we finish up our bath by washing our hair. Some people do this in the shower. They rinse off their whole body from everything they did and wash our hair. Halacha says we wash our hair using warm water because warm water helps us avoid knotting. And we go through all our hair to make sure to remove the knots. Okay, so then we can exit the bath, exit the shower. You have your slippers prepared. Um, put your feet into the slippers and I recommend having a towel nearby to lay a towel over your shoulders. Why? So that when you comb out your hair, loose hairs don't fall all over your body for you to remove. If you have a towel, it makes it nice and easy. It falls on the towel and you remove it. Okay, so we come out of the bath or shower. We don't dry ourselves off. The reason for this is because the water of Hafifa is supposed to be connected to the water of Tfilah because it says water draws to water. So we don't dry ourselves off. Again, if you're preparing at home um, earlier, then yeah, you'll dry yourself off as usual. And then when you come to the mikvah, 
you would shower again, or if it's Friday night and you're not able to, we'll discuss so you put water from the mikvah on your body. Um, so you come out of the shower, bath, you don't um, dry yourself off, but you could put a towel over your shoulders. We then comb through our hair to make sure that it's not knotted. We comb through all the hair. And then comes the inspection part, the iyun. So iyun is when we both visually and manually with our hands, we inspect our entire body for chatzitzas. Um, so what kind of chatzitzas do we typically find? Um, possible chatzitzas would be like stray loose hairs. After you wash your hair, some hair could fall out and be loose on your body. Um, those would have to be removed. Um, splinters that are partially sticking out of the skin, um, scabs that are coming off, dry dirt. Less common chatzitzas that should be discussed with a rav would be things like stitches, whether they're dissolvable or not, um, temporary dental appliances, it depends how long it's gonna be in your mouth and when you got it, things like ear tubes, a cast, medical devices that people have, um, hair extensions, or for some people it's the fake nail tips, um, you know, for a woman who would not be going to mikvah otherwise, except with this, then it would be a shiloh that she would ask. Um, these things are less common, but they are things to be discussed with a rub to get the proper guidance on. In general, we want to avoid ending up in these situations when we have to go to mikvah. So let's say if it's dental work being done and you're getting a temporary crown put in for a few days until you can get your next appointment to put in the permanent thing, then we would not want to have that appointment right before a mikvah. If it's an emergency and there's something like that, then you discuss it with a rub. But let's say something like um, getting a, uh, your ears pierced and then you're not able to take the earring out and it's mikvah, those kind of things we want to think about before and not end up in a situation where we have these chatzitzas to deal with. Sometimes they're unavoidable, especially if they're medical. In that case, you speak to a rav and you get individual guidance. Okay, so we check our whole body for chatzitzas. Sometimes we find unusual chatzitzas. We find a tick or something like that. You're supposed to be checking ourselves for ticks anyway, but sometimes we find a random chatzitza that didn't come off from our regular, you know, soap bath shower, and we'll remove our chatzitza. We also use our hands to feel the parts of our body that we can't see. When we're done with all of that, we blow our nose and use the bathroom to make sure that there's nothing being clenched and holding in. Because when we're in the mikvah, we shouldn't clench under the water. We should be loose and relaxed. So if you need the bathroom, you will be clenching those orifices of your body. So we make sure to use the bathroom and of course, clean up afterwards if there's nothing coming out. We wanna make sure we're clean before we go into mikvah. Also blow your nose, there's nothing in there. Um, you would go over the checklist. Uh, most mikvahs have a checklist posted or you can go to the mikvah.org um, mikvah prep list. They actually have an interactive one that you can check off as you go, which is nice. You go over, just make sure you got everything done. Sometimes people forget the most random things like, oh, I have my contacts in my eyes still, didn't realize, or um, I forgot to cut my toenails. I thought cutting my nails means cutting my fingernails. I forgot to cut my toenails. Sometimes we just forget things, especially if, um, actually both extremes happen. If we haven't gone to the mikvah in a long time, let's say due to pregnancy or extended nursing, or maybe we go all the time that it becomes so routine that we start forgetting some steps. So I always recommend going over the checklist in the end, 
This also helps us that we don't have to be anxious as we go through the process of remembering everything. Cause you know, I'll check, I'll go over the list and it'll all be done. Okay, so when you're finished, go over the checklist, put on your robe and signal to the mikvah attendant that you are ready to title. You will title after what is called Zman Tvila, which is Seisa Kechavan. Okay, so sometimes you might be ready before the time and they'll tell you to wait. Um, and sometimes you're ready after the time and you can title right away or whenever it's your turn, depending on how busy your mikvah is. So now we are finished our Hafifa and we come to our Tvila process. Um, was everybody clear so far? I wish I had a way of knowing that. I'm not tech savvy enough to make a poll or anything like that. Is everything clear so far? Well, we do have questions. Do you want to start with questions in the middle? I, if we have any questions on Khafifa, we could do that now. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's let's go ahead and address some questions here. Okay. okay. All right. So first of all, recommendations for soaps and shampoos that are appropriate. I always use baby shampoo. Are there better things out there regarding leaving the residue? I'm going to pass on that because it's really about the ingredients and those have changed in different shampoos and also different rabbanim will say different ingredients are more to look out for. The idea is that it shouldn't leave a residue. Things like parabens are a problem. I'm going to stay away from naming brands. Uh, most mikvahs stick with baby shampoo. Um, some have VO5 based on whatever their endorsing rub told them to have in the mikvah. I'm, I'm going to pass on making recommendations. Okay. If you're using the bathroom again before going to the mikvah, are you meant to wash that area with a bit of water again? Are you meant to wash that area again afterwards? Not necessarily. If you just use toilet paper and you know that it's clean and you know that there's no paper stuck, or you could use a little bit of water. Practically, you're in the mikvah prep room. They have a little sink there. They have cups there. You can take a cup of water and just pour it like you do postpartum with the peri bottle situation. You don't necessarily have to get back in the shower and clean yourself off unless you think that you should, unless you have reason to believe that there's enough to be cleaned off. Okay, we have a lot of questions about nails. So it might be- Okay. We'll start. Okay, um, first of all, um, for Matzah Shabbos, do we cut our nails on Friday or Matzah Shabbos? Friday. Friday. Okay, do we have to file them? I've never filed them. No, 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 you do not have to file them. They just have to be smooth. If you cut them and they're smooth, you're you're good. You could. You don't have to cut or file. Like you can do one or the other. Whatever works for you. What do you do Friday night and you realize that you didn't clip your nails and it's now Shabbos? You will then ask the mikvah lady who has a lot of training. The attendants get training and they will be able to address the situation from there. Okay. Are you specifically supposed to do the Khafifa process before three-day yantif? If your mikvah is going to be after the three-day yantif, it seems almost... So it's written in halacha that you should. You should do the full thing and then repeat the full thing afterwards. Practically, if that's going to be a big challenge for somebody and create shalom bias issues in their house on the era of three-day yantif when they have a lot going on, it's worth calling your rub and finding out if that's what you actually have to do. And sometimes Rabbanim will say, maybe do one thing on Erev Shabbos to fulfill the Indian, like maybe just cut your nails or just do one thing. And then since you're going to be preparing again afterwards, that could be fine. But it is written in this farm to do both. All right. If mikvah is, let's say, you know, Thursday night, can I file my nails Wednesday night? But do they have to be filed on the day of mikvah? Okay. So lechatchila should be done the day of mikvah. However, we see that if it's a second or third day yuntif kind of situation, it counts from before. So based on this, sometimes Rabbanim give a heter and say if it's within two or three days, it could still be okay bidiyavet. 
However, this is not a lechatchila option. Um, so if it's going to be necessary for you to do that for a specific reason, then double check with your Rav that that's okay. Lechatchila should be done the day of mikvah, not the night before, not the day before. So this is another kind of repetition, but let's just clarify. Um, you know, if I got a manicure without polish on Monday for Wednesday mikvah, and I did it for mikvah, shouldn't that be enough? So, so there are some people that learned that within three days is fine. Um, I clarified with my Rav with Rabbi Schmerling um, when people told me, this is how I learned. I came to reviews and people said, I learned three days is fine. Rabbi Schmerling said, I should not teach that way. It says specifically, it should be done that day. Doing it within three days is bidiyavet and it comes from the concept of yantif. So if this is the way you learned, then maybe double check with your Rav if that's appropriate, but lechatchil is supposed to be done that day. How short do the nails need to be? Short that you can't see it from the other side of your hand. And what about peeling cuticles? Cuticles are not a chatzitza. The only way a cuticle can be a chatzitza if, if it's something called a personal chatzitza. There's a concept that if a woman is particular about a certain thing and she will not leave her house, she will not be seen in public, she won't go to a formal event in that state, then for her, that could be a considered a chatzitza. So if you always have perfectly manicured nails, and there is never a stray cuticle, then you would have to prepare your cuticles that way for mikvah as well. Practical tip that Rabbanim tell people, especially kalas that they're taking on and they get their manicure before mikvah and they always get a wax before mikvah and they always do all these things before, to have in mind that it's bli there because if it comes to a point in time that you're not able to do all these kind of preparations, it shouldn't be a personal chatzitza for you that now you have to deal with. Do it two months and skip a third. Okay. Um, I put on makeup on my eyes every day. So what should I do the day of mikvah? Do I not put makeup on? You could still put it on. You could put on it. There's it doesn't say in halach. This was my practical tip to avoid chatzitas. As you see, I don't wear makeup at all. So don't make it for me. If you want to wear makeup, wear makeup, but maybe don't wear the specific long-lasting waterproof, oil-proof, everything proof mascara that you're not going to be able to take off. But wear your regular makeup if it comes off normally. No problem with that. Do you have any tips to take away mascara? I'm not big into that. Okay, so you there's can makeup remover, there's wipes. Um, I feel like that's your more your department, Kasi. So <laughs> <laughs> I say that you just don't wear waterproof one that day. Okay. And I learned then, use baby oil. I don't know if that works or not. I'm, it can really hurt though. You can use, you know, you, there's there's all types of, of oil-free, um, oil-free waterproof, you know, eye makeup remover, especially ones that are formulated for waterproof. Use a Q-tip, be gentle. And I'm sure the mikvah attendant will have some tips for you if you're having a hard time getting it off. Okay. Um, is it okay to comb my hair while in the shower or does it have to be after? A lot of people comb it in the shower while they're cleaning it to make sure it's cleaned and all the hair is separated, especially if they have more textured hair and that's more of a process for them. But then after we were done, we comb it through again. We comb through afterward. That's one of the critical steps is the rinsing, combing, and inspecting our body. If we're not able to comb because it's Shabbos or Yantif, then we're just very particular beforehand when we do our Khafifa that we prepare our hair in a way that it won't get too knotted in the interim between Khafifa and Tfila. What if you're tabling on a weekday, there's a break between Khafifa and Tfila, but you can't take a shower at the mikvah. 
So I guess it really depends. Person who asked. So we'll we'll speak about that. If you can't, if you can't shower again, the mikvah, like uh, like I mentioned, like with COVID, a lot of mikvahs we're not allowing at all. Then in the mikvah water itself, we'll discuss that you put some water on your body. So that's the water of chafifa. Which we're coming up to in the we're coming up to when we do tefillah. The class is not over. I just wanted to stop and make sure the things were clear so people are not sitting with their questions the whole time and can't listen to the rest. Do you have to file the skin on the bottom of your feet? No. You don't have to remove your skin. Um, some people like to exfoliate specifically and remove um if there is hanging skin, if there's corn, but if it's a part of your body, you don't have to remove it. Nails are different. You cut the nails, not the cuticles. Um, you don't have to file off your skin. If you want to exfoliate, if you want to put a skin wrap on, if you want to use like an emery board or something, you can, but you don't have to remove your skin. Your skin's part of your body. It's not a chatzitza. What time is the earliest time that you could start doing the chafifa process the day of mikvah? So Rabbi Chaikin clarified for me today that it should be close to shkia time. Bidievet, if that's not possible, then after plag hamincha, which is an hour and a quarter of halachic hours before shkia. So that means in the winter time, it's about an hour before shkia. In the summertime, it's more like an hour and a half before shkia. Um, and before that, if you're doing it earlier than that, um, he advised asking the Shiloh, if your Rav has already given you previous instruction that you can do it from the morning or from after Chatzos or something like that, then you can rely on that. But he wouldn't give me instruction past that. He said everyone should ask their own Rav. Do you start the Chafifa before doing the afternoon Badika? Generally not, if you're doing it the ideal way. If you're going to be preparing shortly before Shkia going into going into the night, then you would do your Badika before. If you are doing your badika earlier in the day, uh, sorry, your chafifa earlier in the day, like let's say it's Erev Shabbos and the only time you have to prepare is earlier in the day and your Rav told you that's fine, you can do it before your kids get home from school, for example, then you're not doing your badika at 10 o'clock in the morning for the afternoon. You'll do your chafifa process and then when it's time to do your afternoon badika, you would do that on schedule. It should, they're not connected to each other. Chafifa has its time and it will move up as needed. And the badika has its time, which is before shkia. I do recommend, practical tip, don't do your second badika of the shivan of that day, like 10 minutes before shkia. Do it a little bit earlier in case there might be a stain. You want to have some time to show it to Rav or get it dealt with. Um, it does happen once in a while, especially postpartum or if someone has breakthrough bleeding or things like that. Um, I don't recommend doing the last badika like Mamish at Shkia, just because you don't need that kind of stress. Do it a little bit earlier, do it a half hour earlier, an hour earlier, which is all the acceptable time. Um, yeah. Okay. Do we have any concept of doing anything that will be considered Iker Khafifa during the day because you're going to be doing the rest of it like at night after Sase? So some Rabbanim hold this way that you should do one thing during the day. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a main thing, it could be like removing your nail polish in preparation for Khafifa. And I've even heard some Rabbanim say that if you do one thing during the day, then you don't have to spend an hour at night because you've already started your preparation. So that's also a factor. Okay. Uh, someone in, from the audience 
would like to remind us all to look at a full-size mirror after Khafifa in order to do the you know. Yes, the mikvahs usually have two mirrors, a full-size and the regular one over the sink. So you can use the two mirror, kind of see your back, look at a full-size mirror, go through your whole body. Yeah, check the bottom of your feet also. Just go through everything, head to toe. Yeah. How do I know if I'm removing too much extra skin on the side of my nails? We don't have to remove any. So that's the tip. If you want to clean it up a little because you want to, then clean it up a little. But if it's starting to hurt you, you're starting to bleed, or you feel like, how do I know if this is the right amount? That's probably a sign to stop. If mikvahs must is Shabbos, am I allowed to put on makeup or nail polish for Shabbos? That would be a question for your rav. It's usually if it's going to protect your privacy of mikvah. Like if everyone will know that there must be a reason that you're not wearing makeup, since uh, mikvah is matzah Shabbos, then some Rabbanim would say, put on your makeup and then just be really careful to um, remove it afterwards. The same way you're eating meat, lakavit Shabbos, and then afterwards, you're just going to be more careful to clean your teeth because you had meat. But chatzila, probably not. We don't, we don't put on chatzitzas in between chafifa and fila. But because of the privacy of mikvah, and if everyone will notice that there's a difference, or for yourself, Lukavit Shabbos, it's important to you, then there is wiggle room there. Okay, we mentioned before about combing your hair while still in the shower. What about cutting hair? Do we have to do it? Every Don't cut our hair within three days of mikvah. I actually had this in the notes as a practical tip to avoid a chatzitza by not cutting within three days. And Rabbi Chaikin said, it's not a practical tip, it's halacha. You're not allowed to. So he clarified that. So don't cut your hair within three days of mikvah. Within three days of mikvah. Okay. I like to make my challah on Friday so it's fresh, but I could technically make it on Thursday. If mikvah is Friday or matzah Shabbos, does that mean I'm supposed to make it on Thursday? What's the halacha with dough? With the halacha is you're not allowed to knead dough unless it's challah for Shabbos that you always make on Arab Shabbos. So if it's no difference to you to make it earlier, then you can make it earlier. If you always do it Arab Shabbos and you'll have no problem cleaning up afterwards, like you use gloves, let's say, then you're allowed to for the mitzvah of, of preparing for Shabbos. Why do we need to comb again after the shower if we combed in the shower? Um, because it's the last step kind of thing. That's right before we're getting into the mikvah, we want to make sure that our hair did not at all, because it says that every time you move your head, your hair could not. So we try to do it as late as possible in the process. If we're regularly shedding hair, every time we run our hands through our hair, the strands come out. Are there any special instructions for dealing with this? So take a good shower, um, wash your hair well, all the hairs that you shed throughout the day should come out and be washed off then. Because especially since we cover our hair, all of our stray hairs that fall out throughout the day all get caught up inside our shaitel. And then later they come out in the shower. So definitely use the shower time to get rid of the stray hairs that already fell out um, and just wash them off. And then while you're combing your hair afterwards, putting a towel over your shoulders definitely helps collect a lot of the hair. And we'll talk about soon with the mikvah attendant, even though it's not a requirement to have the mikvah attendant do this, a lot of women find it to be a practical tip that they ask the mikvah attendant to check their back for stray hairs that they weren't able to see since they know personally for themselves that stray hairs tend to fall on their back and they want another pair of eyes to look out for that. 
We have so many questions, but I, I think that. I, okay, well, let's move on to the Tavila yeah, part and we'll do so the wrestling. I just wanted to make sure that I was clear in general. I didn't miss something huge and people are all screaming at the screens from. We have a lot more questions about Khalifa. We're not ignoring them. We'll address them. We're not ignoring them. Let's go on to the rest of the class yeah. and we'll we'll switch back. Okay. Great. Thanks. Awesome. Please continue to send in your questions. If not, I, I would, I'm happy to address them. Okay. So now we are up to tefillah, right? We're wearing, we finished our khafifa. <coughs> Sorry. We um, went over our checklist, put on our robe, and we let the mikvah attendant know that we're ready. And the mikvah attendant comes and knocks on the door or whatever system they have, and you're going out. So the mikvah attendant will walk you to the mikvah. You come to the mikvah room. The, mikvah the role of the mikvah attendant is to supervise your tefillah to make sure that you are completely immersed in the water at one time. Your entire body was immersed. That means every strand of hair was in there at the same time. Your fingers, your toes, your whole body was inside at the same time. That's their role, that they should be a person over bas mitzvah with your shemayim that can attest for you. And because you don't have eyes behind your head, they can tell you that you were under the water. The mikvah attendant is also there to attend to you. So she might ask some questions or offer some reminders. Um, you know, um, sometimes they'll ask, do you have your contacts in? Because that's something that a lot of people leave for the last second. Or do you have anything you need to remove? Is your jewelry off? Um, do you have a retainer you have to take out? Sometimes they'll do those reminders just to run through it. Some mikvah ladies do even more reminders. They'll say, did you do a hefzatara? Did you do a badik on day one and day seven? Um, these are reminders for you. They're not interrogating you. It's just helpful for you to know. I actually know of a woman that went to the mikvah, got everything all done. And the mikvah lady asked her, did you do a hefzatara? And she said the day of the week. And she looked at the mikvah lady and she said, no, I didn't do a hefzatara last Wednesday. I did it on Thursday. And this was Wednesday. She was going to go to the mikvah day early because she lost track. And just by the mikvah lady saying, did you do a hefzatara last Wednesday? It reminded her of the days. So they're not there to interrogate you, but sometimes they might say something, which is what you need to hear. So try to come with a open heart to whatever tips or reminders they offer. Some of them will ask you if you want anything checked. Some might ask to check your nails. This used to be a very common thing that mikvah attendants were trained to double check the nails. Now, um, many mikvah attendants won't offer, but you can always ask them. Mikvah attendants are highly trained in Khafifa and chatzitza. So if you have something that looks like a scab and you're not sure if it should come off, or you have a cuticle that's concerning to you and you're not sure if it should come off, you can ask the mikvah lady and they will usually have pretty good advice. Or if it's a shailafar rub, they can contact the rub. They usually have one on call that they know will be available during this time that they can reach out to and get an answer for you. Um, so you can ask the mikvah lady for help. She's there to help you. She's an attendant. You can ask her, like I said, some people ask to check their back for loose hair if they weren't able to do it themselves. Or you can ask her for nothing at all. Again, her role is to supervise your tefillah and see that you were completely under the water. So when you're entering the mikvah water, what the attendant usually does is either she looks away, she faces the wall. Some mikvah ladies even leave the room or they hold up the towel or rope so they don't see you walking into the water. Um, once you enter the water, you're supposed to enter up until your neck. So that usually means going down the steps and then backing up to where the water is the highest in the mikvah, if you need the highest, or if you're shorter, you might go to where it's a little bit lower. You come to a place that the water is up 
to your neck. You do not have to turn to face the mikvah tendon. The mikvah tendon can see you and ensure that you're completely under the water, regardless of which direction you're facing. So there's no need to turn around and face her. You can face the opposite way if you're more comfortable. So once you're in the water, water's up to your neck, you let the mikvah tendon know that you are ready for tevila. Either she'll come into the room or she'll turn around facing the wall or she'll put down the towel she was holding up so that she can now watch. If you're just going to title, she might not see it. She might miss it. So you tell her you're ready to title. The mikvah lady will um, turn and watch your tevila. There are two positions for tvila that are brought down in halach. The first one is to stand, leaning forward like kneading dough. What does this mean? It means to lean your body with your arms outstretched, knees slightly bent, hips slightly bent, nothing crunched up, we're not squatting all the way down, leaning forward in a way that water can access every part of your body. And we don't clench, our fingers are loose, our eyes, if we want to close them, are closed loosely. Our mouth is closed loosely. And the water can reach every part of our body. Um, the other position to title in is something that the Altarebbe recommends, and it's even mentioned in the Rambam. This is called Tvila Kidug, to be suspended like a fish in water. What does this mean? To kind of, hard to describe, uh, but to kind of be in a diving position so your feet are no longer on the floor. You kind of like jump up a little bit or you lift your feet off the floor at the sit you're standing. So your head goes under the water and your feet goes up and you're under the water at once. For some people, this is a very challenging position. And if a woman is not able to title in this position and things keep sticking out and she can't get a kosher tefila, there's no pressure to do it in this way. However, some women do prefer to do it this way because it's mentioned by the Altiyabe. Some people do one tefillah this way, the other tefillah is a different way. It's really whatever um, is a comfortable way for you to be completely immersed in water. Um, so before we actually tevil, if your hafifa was earlier in the day and you have since dried off, you would take the water from the mikvah and splash it on yourself as hafifa, as preparation, as rinsing off. So this is particularly or Friday night, or for Yantif, or anytime you're preparing earlier. So you prepared earlier in the day, you come to the mikvah dry. And like we said, on Shabbos, you're not allowed to take a shower. Or let's say if someone's in a situation where the mikvah does not allow them to take a shower in the mikvah due to COVID, or it's not possible for you to take a shower in the mikvah for whatever personal reason you have. In that case, you would take water from the mikvah before you tevil and put it on your body to make yourself wet. Because as we said before, water clings to water. We want to enter the water already wet from the water of Khafifa. Okay? So either you're wet from just having finished your Khafifa in the mikvah, or you make yourself wet now, and you tevil in either position that works for you, either like the fish position or the kneading dough position, unclenched, loose. A uh, practical tip for women with longer hair is to gather your hair in front of your shoulders, either in front of both shoulders or in front of one shoulder. So this way, when your head goes under the water, the hair is already under the water. If your hair is behind you, particularly if it's dry, it might float up. So this is a tip for women who have a little bit of a longer hair past their shoulders to bring it in front so you don't have to dive all the way deep down for all the hair to go under the water if it's already ahead of you. Um, so you title one time. If you are immersed completely in the water properly, 
then the mikvah attendant says kosher. She says this word for a reason. It means that your tefillah was kosher and also the malachim and shemayim echo this declaration that the tefillah was kosher. So if she says it's kosher, you titled one time, it is now time to make the bracha. How do we make the bracha? After one tefillah, we stand in the water up until our neck. Again, you don't have to face the mikvah lady if you don't want to, you're just standing in the water water up to your neck. We then cover our heads with, they usually have some kind of tichel prepared. We don't have to cover all our hair. Like you don't have to tie it on to all your hair. It's symbolic. We put it over our head. It's similar to the concept of a yamuka. that since as married women, we always keep our hair covered. We never make a bracha with our hair uncovered. Our head is always covered. So therefore, when we're making a bracha now, we're saying the shame Hashem, we want our head to be covered. The rest of our body is covered by the water and we don't look in the water. Um, so our whole body is covered, covered with water, covered with a tichel on top. We take our hands and we cross them like this. We place our hands on our waist, placing our hands on our waist. This creates a separation with the lower part of our body, our genital area and our heart. This is the concept of a gartel. Um, we don't make a bracha without having clothing on, without having some kind of belt. So we have underwear on, we have a belt. Um, we have something to separate the genital area from our heart when we make a bracha. A gartel signifies that concept. So since we're in the mikvah, we don't have any kind of clothing. It's all the same water. We use our hands to make this separation. Cross them over, place them on the hips, separating the heart from the lower area of our body. So you're standing in the water, up to your neck, tichel on your head, hands like a gartel, and we make the bracha. The bracha is still get emotional every time I say it, no matter how many times I've told it at review classes and taught it to kalas and said it myself so many times. It's such a powerful, special bracha that we get to make as women keeping tarsim shbacha. Um, we make a bracha al hatfila. This is a fulfilling a mitzvah that is not commonly done besides for women keeping tarsem shvacha and keeping hilchastida. And we get to do this really special mitzvah and say, Asher Kedishanu that Hashem commanded us that we can go to the mikvah and be tahar afterwards. And we get to change our status. It's really incredibly powerful. Um, if any of you are following our mikvah messages project, um, Ruthie Sperlin, who's a wonderful college teacher, just um, shared that message this week that the times of the base of Mikdash, a lot of people had Tumantara, they were aware of their status, you know, for eating carbonus or going to the base of Mikdash or, you know, Truma, all those things. Um, but nowadays, most people are not very much aware of their status and we can't change. We can't go from Tame to Tahar, except in this situation, which is Tumas Nida, we're able to become Tahar from by going to Mikvah. So sorry for my little um, side thing. I just think it's such a powerful moment to think about. So immediately after we make the bracha, we tivel again. Now you could think after the long rant I just gave that it's an ace rut sign and we want to daven. And that's true. We will daven later. But halachically, we want to tivel immediately after making the bracha the same way we do with every other bracha of a mitzvah. If you make the bracha on lighting Hanukkah lift, you're going to light them right afterwards. You're not going to take a walk, do something else, and then come back and light them, right? We um, There's a difference. Different mitzvahs have different rules about when you make the bracha. 
For example, we wash Nagavasa, we make the bracha afterwards. We um, bench Lulav and Esrug, we make the bracha before, right? So with mikvah, there's a debate in halacha if we make the bracha before we taivo or afterwards. So that's why we taivo, bracha, taivo. We have two tefillahs sandwiching the bracha, so it is both after a tefillah and before a tefillah. Then the minig is to immerse a third time. Some people have a personal minhag or a family minhag to taivo more times than that. There's different amounts people do for personal reasons or family reasons. Um, if you taivo a bunch of times, it's a good idea to let the mikvah lady know. By the way, I taivo seven times, I taivo nine times, whatever you do. So the mikvah lady can help you keep track because otherwise you're just saying kosher, kosher, kosher. And if you're losing track of how many of them were kosher, then you might not, it's, it's just more challenging. If you tell the mikvah lady, then she can help you with the count. Um, after you're done your tefillahs, and if you do more, each one of them has to be kosher, okay? So after you did your number of tefillahs that you do, um, you can then finish the rest of your tefillahs. It's a special ace ratzain to Davin. And the Friedrich Rebbe says that there are three times when it's a specific ace ratzain. So we say, we say as the tefillah for Mashiach, he ratzain no fanecha, shemalekinu velekeyavisenu, sheyabana beisam mikdash from here of yaminu secha. The three times that we do this, the, the Friedrich Rebbe says, is when we bench when we bench Shabbos lift, when we um, take challah, and when we tayvul in the mikvah. The three mitzvahs of women are all special times at Ace Ratzin to David. If you have personal tefillahs that you want to have in mind, this is a wonderful time to do it. Some people have things in mind while they're going under the water. Some people just think things mentally in their head. They'll run through certain names or ideas or things that they're asking Hashem for. Some people like to verbally say it. Depending on your mikvah, some of them will allow you to stay in the mikvah water or in the mikvah room for a period of time if you have longer tefillahs that you want to say. Some prefer that you leave the room and they have another area in the mikvah where you could continue to daven. It really depends on the mikvah and how busy they are and whatever their system is for that. Okay, so it's a very special ace ratzain, and we just changed our status. You heard kosher, 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 or however many times you do it, and you are now tahar. When we come out of the mikvah, again, the mikvah lady is generally going to look away as you're coming out, or she holds up a towel or a robe. So we put on our, our towel or our robe or whatever we have, and then we're supposed to encounter the mikvah lady. The mikvah attendant, as a Jewish person, is something holy. And when we come out of the mikvah, out of this very holy place, we want the first thing we see or to encounter is to be a holy person. So the preferred thing is to touch the mikvah lady. So a lot of mikvah ladies will put out their hands to give you a shalom aleichem, and they'll say some kind of positive words, say bracha v'atzlacha, all the best, whatever they say, some say only simchas, whatever they, would they say something positive while they touch you? And the touch is that your first encounter should be with something of kedusha. Um, if you're not comfortable touching, you don't necessarily have to touch her. Um, with COVID, a lot of mikvahs implemented policies of, of less contact. They stay six feet away. They're not going to be touching you. So they'll just look. Um, so your first interaction should be a dover kedusha. Then you return to your room. Once, <laughs> sorry, once you return to your room, you're not worried about 
Hafifa Khatitsa anymore. It says, we're not supposed to overthink and start obsessing. Um, did I prepare properly? Was something left over? Did I clench my hands too tightly? Did I clench my eyes too tightly? Did I do it right? If there's a glaring error, then of course, address it. If you see like, whoops, I forgot to take out my contacts, or I can't believe I actually forgot to cut my toenails or something like that. Of course, address it, let the mikvah lady know, and you would correct it and retitle. Um, but in general, we're not, we don't overly concern about it. You did your chafifa to the best of your ability. You went to the mikvah, you immersed in the water, and you are now tahar. You can get dressed, you can apply lotion on your body, you can put on makeup. Um, some people like to bedafka, you know, touch their hair so some stray hairs come out. So if they find a hair later, they don't say, oh my goodness, was there a hair? Was my tefillah correct or not? You know, yeah, it fell out afterwards. I, I blow dried my hair and it came out afterwards just to clear our minds from, we don't want to be in a, you know, in an anxious space, at any point during the chafifa. We want to be relaxed and focus on that. We are now tahar and we're now um, preparing for going back home to our husband and being in the tahar state of the relationship and all the intimacy and things that come with that. So that's what we want to be focused on and not worrying or anxious thoughts. So we don't tival, uh, sorry, we don't shower again after we tival. So on Lel Tvila, we don't shower again. If a woman has a particular reason that she wants to shower that night after she tivled, she should speak to a rav about where to do it. We generally don't tivel in the mikveh building at minimum. Um, when to do it, if it should be like after she touches her husband already or after a few hours like what, what the parameters are for that and how she should do it. If it should be a quick shower, if she should do limb by limb, what the parameters are for her if she needs to title again that night. Um, this was also something that really came to the attention during COVID when some mikvahs were using a very high amount of chemicals to stay clean and it was irritating people's skin. So they wanted to wash off afterwards so then they can call a rub and find out how and when and where. But generally we don't shower on Lel Tvila for a few reasons, but the main one is that we should know that it's the mikvah water that made us tahar. We are now tahar. We don't need to do any extra steps afterwards. Okay, so when you're all done, you're ready to go home, you notice a chatzitza at some point, let the mikvah attendant know. Like I said, they're very well trained with these things. They can ask a shayla for you if you need. Um, and you can find out if you have to repeat tevila or not. Um, but hopefully this is not a common situation that we find a chatzitza afterwards. We're not looking for one. Hopefully we don't find one. But if something is found, we don't just say, oh, I titled already, so it must be fine. If something was found, for example, you realize you forgot to cut a nail or there's some nail polish left or something like that. You forgot to take out your retainer, your earrings are still in, whatever it is, um, let the mikvah attendant know and you might have to repeat your tefillah, okay? When we leave the mikvah building, um, before we're leaving, we wash our hands, we wash Nagavasar, and we look at something holy. For example, a picture of the Rebbe, a lot of mikvahs will have on the way out a picture of the Rebbe, a picture of the Rebetzin, or some people will have with them a picture of the Rebbe or have on their phone set that when they open it up, it's a picture of the Rebbe or a picture of their husband. They should have something holy and positive in mind when they're going outside into the street. When, <coughs> sorry, when a woman 
sees her husband, whether it's in the car or when she gets home. When the woman sees her husband after, after she tivels, she is supposed to verbally tell him that she tivled and she is now tahar. The whole concept of the Tara process and of the whole Nida process is all about Nemanosaisha, that the mitzvah is in the woman's hands and the man has a responsibility, right? That he's not allowed to come close to any, then he's not allowed to do all these things, but it's based on her word when she says she's Nida, when she said she did her Hepsic Tara, when she said, when she says she's Tahar, he takes her word that she's Tahar. He, he can't just assume, he can't just know that today is mikvah night. And since she came home smelling like chlorine, she must have gone to mikvah. What if she went swimming and she just came back and her mikvah poem is later or whatever it could be. He can't assume. It's not up to him to assume. It's her mitzvah. It's her ne'amanos. She's the one that's trusted to deliver this information. So she verbally tells him, I toiveled and I'm tar. Then you no longer have to keep her hakas and you can resume all parts of your marriage from holding the door for each other to passing things to each other and physical intimacy. Everything is back on after mikvah and after a woman is tahar. If after this, after arriving home, a woman finds a chatzitza, she should call a rav. There are different parameters that apply based on where she found it, when she found it, what kind of chatzitza it is. But again, we don't dismiss. If you found a real chatzitza afterwards, Kalarov, find out what you're supposed to do. Um, in general, we prioritize going to mikvah on time. There are many stories of Mr. Nefesh for this, for this mitzvah and for, uh, you know, I can give you lists of stories, but I'm not going to do that. But there are so many times that women really went out of their way to go on time, even if it was difficult, even if it was logistically challenging, um, even if, you know, people might realize but going Seder night, going the night of their child's wedding or going during all kinds of situations um, to go on time is a priority. However, sometimes mikvah might need to be delayed for a technical reason. Let's say both spouses are not in the same city. You go, don't go to the mikvah if your spouses are not in the same city or generally, or one of the spouses are ill, ill to the point that relations are not possible. Or, you know, we had during COVID, if someone has COVID and they're quarantined and they can't go, things like that. Or it's just extremely challenging to go on time and it would create a lot of upheaval and affect the entire family and affect the shalom bias. And it's just not something that could be made workable or it would be impossible to maintain SNEAS. Um, those kind of things are things you discuss with a rov. Husband and wife should discuss together if it seems like McFinite will not be workable on time and then discuss with a rav for either practical guidance of what to do or for a head there for it to be delayed. In general, we do not delay to Friday night or Matzah Shabbos. So that's an important factor to know. Even if in general, the rav always told you, yeah, just go the next night. If your mikvah night is Thursday night and the next night is Friday night, it might not be the same sock. So it's good to ask every time, depending on the circumstances. I want to make a note about sneas. Sneas is something that we take very seriously as women, and especially when it comes to the intimate parts of our life, we don't blast it on a billboard. Not everyone has to know that we have our period. Not everyone necessarily has to know that we're in early pregnancy. Um, people don't have to know it's your shivanakiyam. People don't have to know that's your mikvanite. We keep these things private, and mikvanite specifically is brought down in halacha that we keep it private. That's why we go at night, not during the day. There's a whole bunch of things around keeping mikvah private. Now, a lot of times we internalize privacy 
to an extent that it borders on an unhealthy shame. And I'm not going to do a whole pop psychology thing, but I think this is an important um, message to realize sometimes. There's an expression in Yiddish called Afaganif Brentahithel, that on a thief, his hat is burning. What does that mean? When someone's in the midst of committing a crime, he's a thief, he's stealing in broad daylight, there's people around, right? Um, and he thinks his hat is on fire, as in everybody sees him. There's this big red warning light, everybody's looking out for him. So first of all, going to mikvah, we're not, we're not committing a crime. We're doing the right thing. So what's the worst thing in the world? Someone's going to know that you keep Tarasim Shkacha, that you're from Yid with Yerushalayim. Okay. But also know that Afaganif Brenta Hittel, this, this concept, it's, it's in our heads a little bit. We think everyone's watching us. But I'm sure there have been so many times in your life that you thought people were watching you. And meanwhile, they were sitting and thinking you're watching them and you're figuring out about their life. Most of us are not that nosy to care about other people. We're concerned about ourselves. I'll give a personal example. It used to be if I had mikvah Friday night, I'd walk to the mikvah and walk back from the mikvah thinking every single person in the city knows I'm going to the mikvah. Why am I walking up Kingston Avenue and all the men are going to Shul? Everybody knows I have kids at home. Who's with my kids? My husband's going to show late. My guests, I'm coming home late. They know where I was. Everybody knows. And I would see people passing by, relatives, friends, and I'm thinking they all know I'm going to mikvah. They all know. I repeat this in my head. Everybody knows that I'm going to mikvah. Uh, I'd still go on time because it was important to me, but everybody knows I'm going to the mikvah. Then something interesting happened. I joined a group of women that act as escorts to walk women to mikvah on Friday nights if they don't want to walk alone. And I realized that when I'm walking another woman to the mikvah, I have no feeling that people are watching me and figuring it out. And there's no logical reason for it because I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm walking to the same place at the same time. Why am I walking when you know it's time for shul? My husband should be in shul. What's going on? I'm going to come late to my meal. I have no problem with it. And I have no problem coming home to a house full of guests and saying, I was just doing a mitzvah. And that's it. I have no problem with it because I know it wasn't my mikvah night. It was her mikvah night. I was walking her. Nobody knows where I'm going, even though I'm walking to the exact same building. I'm not even hiding behind the bushes. I'm not shy. She's hiding behind the bushes and I'm standing behind to protect her in anonymity. I don't care because it's not my mikvah night. And it really clicked for me that so many times we think, oh my goodness, they're going to tell that I'm not wearing makeup. They're going to know for sure my nails were short. I always have tips on my nails. And if I go to the wedding with my nails short, everyone will know. Usually people are not paying that much attention. And usually the people that are paying too much attention are reading into things that don't exist anyway. And the problem is with them, not with you. We don't have to worry about it. So that's just my um, little personal um, footnote about Sneas was going to mikvah. Of course we're Sneas. We don't advertise what we're doing. We don't go out of our way to make it public. We don't tell people our private lives. We do keep it private. We do bedafka go at night and in privacy and not letting people know. But we don't have to have an added shame that people are looking around and seeing signs and knowing about us. We don't have to have negative feelings when we're doing a mitzvah. We're doing a good thing. Um, okay, so should we go back to questions? Yep. Okay, so let's go back to the questions. Thank you, Mushki. Um, I'll just add to it, besides for the shame part, if there's ever a reason someone needs to know because you're in whatever situation, it's not like, oh my goodness, I have to tell her because I need whatever. It's okay. If it happens, it happens. Exactly, okay. exactly. All right. Um, I just go back because I want to make sure I'm going back to 
All right. If I can go in Matzah Shabbos, um, is the prep on Friday enough that I don't have to spend an entire hour of Hafifa Matzah If you prepared fully on Shabbos, right. Shabbos, then Matzah Shabbos, you don't have to repeat the whole prep. You have to brush your teeth since you ate in between. You shower, comb your hair, and check for chatzitzas. You don't have to do the full prep. What happens if you forgot to shave and only remember the day of? Is it okay to shave the day of? You're allowed to shave the day of mikvah. Um, I'll just mention this since it came up. I wasn't included in the class, but I'll mention it. There's three kinds of hair that we have on our body, three different kinds of hair textures. We have the hair on our arms and legs, hair like eyebrows, eyelashes. This is hair that doesn't um, knot and that doesn't fall out on other things and become stray hairs. So you don't have to remove them. You don't have to shave your legs if you don't want to. Your hair is a part of you. Your hair is not a chatzitza. Um, the exception would be if someone made it their neder and it became their personal chatzitza because of that they always make sure to remove it, which again, either don't always remove it or just make that as plain neder. But you don't have to remove it. If you want to, you can shave the day of mikvah. You're allowed to. You can even shave during your chafifa while you're preparing as long as you make sure to wash off the hair because it doesn't leave many stray hairs. If you take a shower after shaving, you usually get all the hairs off. Second type of hair we have on our body is our underarm hair and our pubic hair. That is hair that um, could get knotted up, could get more dirty, and we have to pay more attention to in our chafifa to make sure that it's actually clean. That kind of hair is not recommended to remove the day of mikvah because it does have more of the tendency to leave stray hairs. Um, then we have the hair on our head. The hair on our head is the most particular because it could not and it does not. So we comb it through carefully. We wash it carefully with warm water. We comb it through and we do not cut that hair within three days of mikvah. Okay, thank you. So that was pretty clear there. If I have dandruff that doesn't bother me and I've never tried to remove it, is it a problem? Dandruff is not necessarily a problem. It would be the loose dandruff that's more of a problem. Um, and again, like I mentioned, we don't um, start things that have no end. So if you're going to be washing out dandruff for two hours and you'll still have dandruff left, then you don't have to worry about all that dandruff. Remove the surface dandruff. The dandruff on your head, you don't have to peel off for sure. The question is, if you have dandruff throughout your hair, you want to wash it and comb it through. But again, if it's not going to end, if you're going to keep combing and more dandruff will come off and you're going to keep going, keep going, keep going, then you don't have to do that. If I was careful to wax, et cetera, before mikvah, before I had a baby, but now that I have a baby, I'm not careful with waxing anymore. Do I need to do a tarsadarm to stop waxing before mikvah? So speak to our Rav, but this would generally be why Rabbanim say lechatchila, to tell Kala teachers, to tell the Kalas, to have in mind that it's Blina there. Because even though now you think you're going to always wax and you're always going to get a professional manicure and you're always going to do this, life changes and you're not always going to be in a situation that you can or you want to. So lechatchila, it should be a Blina there kind of thing or not something you do all the time. If you mamish made it a personal thing that you always do, then speak to Rav and they'll let you know if you need to do hataras in the darm or not. Or if just speaking to one rub and saying you no longer want to do this and getting upset that it's fine for you could be enough of a taras the dharma. You don't necessarily need three people. If I do all my preparation at home and then I go straight to the mikvah building, can you explain why I need to shower again? Do I need to use soap and shampoo or I'm just letting water run on me to make me wet? So if you went mamish straight from your house directly to the mikvah, then you don't must shower again. You should comb your hair again at the mikvah building because like I said, we always comb as close as possible. You don't must shower again if it was right before. What you'll do is in the mikvah, put water on your body to make yourself wet from chafifa water. It is recommended to shower again if you can.
when you shower again, do you have to use soap, soap and shampoo again? Or is it no, just, just a, it's just to rinse yourself off, make yourself wet. And any chatzitzas that clunk, since you got dressed, there might be lint from your clothing, like to rinse off. Okay. Um, if you take a shower at the mikvah, do you still need to wet your face when you get into the mikvah? Like touch, using the water to touch your eyes. And you don't have to make sure that every single part of your body is dripping wet. So you don't have to put water on your eyes necessarily. It's just, if you're going to be completely dry, you should have water of hafifa. You should make yourself kind of wet. You clarify um, when you go into the mikvah to make yourself wet, either on a Friday night or during the week, is it 12 inches above or is it up to your neck? If you could just clarify. 12 that. inches above? 12 inches above your navel or is it up to your neck? That's oh, when you enter the mikvah water? Yeah. Says till your neck. Um, could be there are some people that hold 12 inches above the navel. If that's what you learn, if that's what your rough holds, that's totally possible. I was taught till your neck. This is the notes that I sent to Rabbi Haikin and that he approved. So that's that's all I'm comfortable saying. There might be another valid opinion. I'm not sure. Is it an unkosher tefillah if our hands or feet touch the mikvah walls when we go under? Technically not. If your hands and feet were wet and they touched a certain surface underneath the water that is wet. For example, if you're doing tvila the way like kneading dough, your feet will stay on the floor. As long as your feet are wet because you walk through the mikvah water, that's okay. So sometimes there's uh, people that feel like they need to hold on under the water. Some mikvahs have a bar underneath the water level that is wet. And as long as their hand is wet, they can touch it as long as they don't cling very tightly. So that is um, a possibility. Yeah. But yeah, Rebbe's way is that you're completely suspended in water, not touching anything, feet not on the floor, not on anything. So that's, there's different opinions on that. Do we cover our hair or fold our arms when we're saying the Yehi Ratzayim? No. Okay. I, I used to say Sheibana, I guess Sheibana means to make dash right after the bracha, but then I realized it could be a hefse. So you're supposed to say it after the bracha or only after the tefillah? So some people were taught to do it after the bracha. If that's how you taught to do it, then maybe ask a rav before changing. Um, the way my rav said is that it would be a hefsik, you make the bracha and immediately type look in. Okay, do you know which rebbe instituted going like a fish in water? Like the alt rebbe. The alt rebbe, okay. And um, is there any tefillah that we do say in Chabad after the bracha? Is there anything we're supposed to say? After? There is no written out nusach. Other communities do have different nuschais that they do, or if they're davening for a specific thing, they have a one for kalas, they have one for people davening for a child, they'll have different things. Chabad doesn't have any specific ones aside from the Fidik Rebbe saying to say Shea Bana. So it's it's a, it's a time for personal tefillah. If you have to table again due to finding something, do you say the bracha again? This is a question for a Rav. Generally, if we're in the mikvah building, we don't tifle again. The mikvah, the bracha from before would usually count. If you're ready, I'll correct it. You always slip up your tongue. Sorry, say that again. If you are in the mikvah building, then you don't make a bracha again. Right. You don't make the. You already made a bracha earlier, so you wouldn't repeat the bracha. There's a concept in halacha called suffolk brachas lahakil. If you're not sure if you need to make a bracha, we don't. So based on that, if you're still in the mikvah building, you wouldn't do it again. If you came home already and you're returning to the mikvah again, so if it's a tvila, a required tvila, like your first one was mamish invalid and you must tevil again, then you might have to make a new bracha. But if it's a suffolk tvila, where the rub is just saying it's a good idea to tevil again just in case, then the rub would say not to make a bracha. So it's an individual shaila. Again, your mikvah attendant 
is usually pretty well versed in these things and she can advise you. If my husband's out of town on Lelt Villa, then when should I go? The night before he's going to come home or the night after he's going to come home? For example, he's going to come home on Monday during the day. Do I go Sunday night? So when he comes on Monday, I can touch him? Question for a rub. I travel regularly. Um, generally, it's a, you do it the night after he comes home. So if he comes during the day, you would do it in the night afterwards because according to the ideal standards of following halacha, we are not intimate during the day. So therefore there isn't such an issue of her being needed during the day. When he comes home, they will just continue with their halachas until she goes to the mikvah. However, um, some rabbanim do not think that that's an ideal situation to put yourself in, to be needed unnecessarily when your husband comes home, even if it's not for intimacy, but just for in general, and they would prefer that you go to the mikvah the night before so you're ready. Another factor is sometimes people come home earlier than scheduled, either for technical reasons or because they want to surprise their wife and they come home earlier. And if she didn't go to the mikvah yet, it could be, you know, a little bit, you know, not such a the best situation. So if mikvah is delayed because your husband's out of town or because you're out of town or whatever it is, then speak to our Rav about it. Every situation is so complex. I always advise, speak to our Rav, find out what to do in your situation. Are you allowed to dunk in the mikvah to get yourself more wet, even if you are also showered right before? I guess, is there any reason to be doing an extra dunk before? Are you allowed to? Yes. Do you have to? Not from what I've seen. Some women were taught to title an extra time before. That's what you've always done. That's what you've always done. It's not a requirement, but it's not, not allowed. Okay. Oh, we have one more. And that is, I was taught, so again, this is always like, if you were taught, then, you know, but I was taught that I should, that women were, should say, um, Almighty God should bench people with children. They'll grow up to be Erlich women and men. Have you heard that? Is there a source? That sounds like a beautiful tefillah to say. It could be handed down from a family, could be handed down a community. There's another beautiful thing that I heard from very special women that upon leaving the mikvah building to look up at the sky and say, beautiful. I have tried for years to find a source. I haven't found a source. So it's not something I'll tell you in the class. This is what you should do. But it is something that a lot of women do because that's what they were taught and that's what they, and, and it's beautiful and it's very nice. So I'm not going to say you're not allowed to say that. Don't say that even though you were taught to. It's a time for personal tefillah. And I don't think that there is an issue with saying whatever nusach you were taught and that resonates. Okay. Um, a clarification on the question before. The person uh, clarified what they meant. When Are you allowed to dunk? Meaning, are you allowed to go all the way down, including your hair, instead of just wetting your face with your hands? when you need to, let's say Friday night, can you just immerse? You need to. So a lot of women were actually taught that Friday night you title once and that doesn't count. That's the title of Hafifa. That's the titling of getting wet. And then your real one start. That's what you do. That's what you do. I actually asked Rabbi Chaikin about this and he said, women should do whatever makes sense for them that they should do. If they feel like titling before to get fully wet in preparation for tefillah, then you're, it's, not, it's not not allowed and it's not that you must, whichever makes sense for you. Is there a minhag though to title once before actual tefillah on Friday night? Because I was once told this. So it depends how we interpret the word minhag. Minhag is a very complex word. I think of a whole you know, discussion just about what minhag means. There is minhag, that's minhag Yisrael tairahi. That's brought down in halacha that says minhag Yisrael is to do this. And there's so many minhagim that... <coughs> We take seriously as halacha. 
then there's something called community minogin. Chabad minog is to do X, Y, and Z. We don't eat gebrox on Pesach. We take that mamish like halacha. It's a minog. There are minhagim like that. And then there are minhagim that certain women do. Like, let's say if you read Tarak Halacha, Rabbi Farkash Sefer, he has certain things that he writes, minog nishe Yerushalayim. The women in Yerushalayim used to do this. He doesn't know a source for, he's not telling you a source in halacha necessarily, but he is telling you that these women used to do this. So if you were taught that minog nashim, that women toivel beforehand on Friday night as a preparation, then that's your minhog nashim. Is it a minhog prescribed in Shulchan Aruch that minog Yisrael is that Friday night you do this? It's not uh, prescribed in that manner. It still might be, again, something that you do. It's not required and it's not, not allowed. Okay, um, this last question, it's a little bit loaded. Mashkis, you'll decide if you want to answer it or not. Um, <laughs> okay. um, during COVID, the Chabad mikvah would not allow us to use the bathroom before mikvah. Was that okay? So let's put this in context. Here, here's the thing. I can't tell you if somebody did the right thing or the wrong thing. I'm not a rough, and I definitely can't paskin for the past. <clears throat> what I was taught is that you are supposed to. I also recall certain mikvahs, the prep rooms were completely closed. You were not allowed to do anything. You had to walk in with your own towel into the mikvah room, strip your clothing down, and tie in the mikvah. The reason for that is because they were going off an extreme shas hatchak situation where it was life and death. If you remember, people were not davening with the minion. People were not hearing Kriya Satyra. People weren't naming children or having brisim. It was a very extreme time. And mikvahs were trying to do the best they could that we can keep Tarsa Meshbach this foundational mitzvah. So if that's the guidelines that they came up with in conjunction with their rav, that no one should go into the prep rooms at all or use the bathroom at all, based on that, Shas then that was the psak, that was the circumstance they came up in. I'm not going to sit here 18 months later and say, hmm, it says in Allah how to use the bathroom. Why didn't they let you? That's not my position. Right. We're supposed to use the bathroom. Well, they made a mistake. Everybody can make a mistake. Everybody has flaws. But I'm sure there was a really good reason for that decision. And let's, let's keep it all in context. Right? Every mikvah works with a rav. They have guidance from a rav. They don't just make things up. And if you sense that a mikvah is not working with the guidance of a rav, then call up the rav that supervises the mikvah and feel free to ask about the policies within that mikvah and make sure that it's properly guided. Anything else? I think that is all the questions. Let me just double check because sometimes they come in from different locations. Okay. Okay. Um, so meanwhile, I'll wrap up by coming. I know it's a very busy night in Crown Heights. There's a big event. I got so many people out here. Are you coming? Do you want to walk with me? Do you want to come? Do you want to? I'm like, I'm giving a class for all the ladies that want to join this Tarsim Shbaha that are committed to this. I will remind everyone that we're having this 120 review project. If you um, can please fill out the duch and put your names in that you're reviewing I want to give everyone a big yasher kayach for taking the time and listening and reviewing. This is a review for married women, which means you're keeping the mitzvah and hopefully you learned the mitzvah and you're fulfilling the Rebbe's hayra to review. And once again, I will say, if something I said seems off to you or different than when you were taught or different what your Rav told you, please clarify with me, make sure we understood correctly and definitely check with your Rav before making a big change in your hanhaga. And thank you so much. Um, to Chasi Rifkin and Mikvah.org for the opportunity for giving me this host to teach this class. Um, any other questions? Any last notes? Um, that is it. I just have a, uh, okay, I guess a couple comments here at the end, which um, okay. 
was, you know, the, the comments about the Al-Sharab instituted Tefillah Qatag, but the Samach Sadiq was the one who had mentioned that this is the way it should be done. Is that, have you heard that? Someone the Samach Sadiq does mention it, and the Al-Sharab didn't invent this. It's mentioned by the Rambam as well. It became Chabad Minhag when the Al-Sharab brought it back. The Al-Sharab was a big Paisik, wrote the Al-Sharab Shulchan Aruch, and there's specifically a letter about Mikvais and instructions for building a Mikvah and how to title where the Alter Rebbe mentions this and it became something that Chabad people and Hasidic people in general took on from then. Yes, the Tzemach Tzedek does mention, the Rebbe mentions it also, and it's probably mentioned throughout by other Rebbeim as well. Okay. If somebody wants to say any sort of Yehiratzayin or wants to say, like someone had mentioned about, you know, the Friedrich Rebbe saying about, you know, may the Almighty God help with my, cho- my children be Erlich and from, is there anywhere that someone can look that up in order to be able to find meaningful quotes to say after, at the Mikvah? So I always direct everyone to mikvah.org, but you know better than me if there are any trinas on mikvah.org. I don't know. Well, we sell, we sell trinas, any... but it's based on everyone's specific minhag about whether they're going to use them or not. Okay. I don't know. It has a lot of resources. That is true. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I think that is all the questions. Um, let me just make sure that I didn't lose it. Oh, okay. Where can I watch previous classes? All right. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, give my uh, two oh, cents. There you go. Oh, Mushki, thank you very much for um, this. My, my privilege. Yes. And um, and yeah, it was, it was amazing. So now for everybody else to know what's going on. So Rift Mushki mentioned two major projects happening right now. Mikvah.org forward slash 120 to sign that you are part of this review. We've made this review available in so many ways. So for the women that are on here today, fantastic. If your friend is not on here, please direct them to our podcast, to the slideshow, to a review class happening in your area. It all counts. To a Kahoot game, you can play. Review however you want. We want to have 1,200 women reviewing the laws of Taras Meshwacha by Yeraf Nisan. We need your help to get to that. That's a really high number. So make for that org forward slash 120. Please sign your name as part of this fund and tell all your friends that they should listen to the review. This way, play however they want to review. Um, Someone asked, how can I watch the previous classes? So they are all up on video at mikvah.org forward slash media. They're all there. By tomorrow, this one will be there too. We also have them on podcast. If listening is more your thing, you can go to mikvah.org forward slash audio. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on Pocket Cast, we're on Anchor. We're on every podcast platform that I know of. If you have more, you can let me know about that. Um, and we are constantly adding more classes and more events. You're welcome to sign um, up for our broadcast at 732-534-2948. Mushki also mentioned the Mikvah Messages, which is a tremendous project at, with Mushki at the helm of it. So thank you, Mushki, for that. Um, you can follow all those mikvah messages on Instagram at my mikvah. If Instagram is not your thing, we also have WhatsApp groups to be getting it to your phone. And then you can get these beautiful mikvah messages. And if it touches you and inspires you, you can go ahead and repost it. And we can flood social media with this mitzvah. So that is, um, that's all for tonight. Take care and have a great day. Great night. <laughs>